So we're doing this twice a year now because we've experienced at times, if we do this once a year, the stage is so full we can't even really focus. And it's just an evidence that God is growing us. You can see it in these families. It never gets old uh, seeing these children brought before God. And I want to remind you, we get to share with them and letting them know about Jesus and his love. We get to help them grow deep, and it's a big part of our, our desire to grow. And we're committed to grow. If you've been with us uh, this, this summer, we know we're growing out, witnessing with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're going to keep, keep growing deep, devoted to the word. And we want to grow young, walking with one. And here's the challenge. These families right beside you, if you're a parent a little long, uh, uh, further along in your parenting journey or grandparent, maybe you're an aunt and uncle and, and your nephews and nieces are away, uh, come alongside one of those families and walk with them and encourage them. And today uh, is an evidence of that, but we need to be doing it all the time. Today, we're also going to wrap up this portion of our series called Grow Deep. While the series will be over after today, our, our challenge by God to grow deep never stops. Jesus continually grew deep in the Word. You see it all throughout his, his life story in the Gospels. He was growing deep. And we can hear his call for us to grow deep in his prayer for us in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, a little bit of the context of this is, it is a, a, a large portion of Scripture where Jesus is praying. He prays for himself, and, and then the interesting thing is he prays for us, uh, those who are part of the church family, those who have accepted him as our Savior. And he prays not only for us to be unified, but we see in this passage here we're going to focus on today, he prays for us to grow and to be sanctified. Look at this in John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus' prayer for you as a believer. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. For I sanctify myself that they too may be sanctified. Now, you could read that probably 10 times, and if you are not understanding the context of what Jesus is saying, you're like, what in the world's going on? And I want us to help with this. This concept is, while it's deep, you can all understand today before we leave. This idea that Jesus is praying that we be sanctified, and get this, as he sanctifies himself. What in the world is Jesus talking about? We first must go back to the context of this. Jesus is praying for those who are trusting in him, those that are saved. He is praying for those that have already uh, said, we want our sins forgiven through you and we trust in your death, brown resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. So he's saying these people that are justified, that they have been saved, let them also be sanctified by the word. He's asking for our sanctification just as he himself sanctifies himself. Now that's a little confusing, but if Jesus is concerned with his sanctification, we also should be concerned with our sanctification. But what does this mean? Let's go first to what it means to be justified. That's who he's praying for, those who have been justified, those who have been saved. And here's a definition for justified. It's that God makes and declares that sinners are righteous through Christ. Justification. If you're a believer of God, if you've been made new uh, through being buried with him and, and had your sins washed away by his blood, you have been justified. God sees you as perfect and right. That's justification. That is who Jesus is praying for here. And I pray you find that, that salvation through Jesus. How I remember justification or being justified, when we are justified by his blood, it is just as if I've never sinned. When God looks at us, saved by the grace of Jesus, he sees us as perfect. 
And so in that, we are sinless because he took, took away our sin. And yet Jesus prays in this passage, not only we're saved, but also sanctified. So what does sanctification mean? It means to be set apart from sin to be used by God's holy purpose. So at, at the core, Jesus praying for those who are saved to be set apart. And he says, I myself set myself apart or sanctify, sanctify myself. It's a deep concept. I love how the Word of God can help us understand it. In our verse for today, in Hebrews chapter 10, I was reading this morning, very first thing this morning, and I was thinking about this message, a little complicated. He's praying for the justified who he wants to be sanctified. In Hebrews 10, it defines it more perfectly than I could. Look what it says. It's not on the screen because this just came this morning. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, he's talking about Jesus, by his sacrifice... He has made perfect for all times those who are being sanctified. So what the Hebrew writer says is, Jesus, who's made us perfect and, and justified, he is also sanctifying us. And it's important. It, it's so important. Jesus praying that we be set apart. But some of you are thinking right now, I don't get this. As long as I'm saved, I'm good. I can understand that feeling because sometimes when things are deeper than I can comprehend, uh, I'll go back to the default. Well, as long as I have salvation, all, all, all is good. And while that is true, the, the, the primary thing is we want to be in a saving relationship with Jesus. Jesus prays for more than that for your life, more than that for your children's life. He says, sanctify them after they've been saved, as I sanctify myself. Here's where it gets complicated for our human minds. Why would Jesus need sanctification? Does that mean he has a sin issue? Does that mean he's tempted? Does that mean he has given in to sin? And the reality, we, we know in Scripture, don't let your minds go away with this, Jesus is perfect, but he continues to be, want, to be set apart for God's will. That's what sanctification is. The Word of God tells us that he who had no sin, that's Jesus, became sin so we might know the righteousness of God, so we might have that. In a reading also for this week in Hebrews 7, it puts it this way. He is the kind of high priest, the one we just sang about in our worship time, that we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. Never question the idea that Jesus, even though he was sanctifying himself, had sin because he didn't. He was sinless. He had been set apart from sinners and has given the high priest place and honor in heaven. So how does Jesus sanctify himself if he is sinless? How does he uh, continue to set himself apart? And, and here's what the word tells us in this text. He does it constantly. Jesus is constantly sanctifying himself. He is constantly setting himself apart to do God's will. This is radical thought that someone, but because he is God himself and the truth, he can sanctify himself. It's beyond what we can comprehend, but it's true. And how does he do this? It is because he is the truth. Look back to the text. Jesus is praying for our, our sanctification. He says this, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then he says, I sanctify myself. So Jesus, after he saves us, sanctifies us by us knowing the word and us knowing the truth. And he says, I do this to myself because I am the truth. It's, it's a big part of who Jesus is. Look what John highlights in John 7 about truth. He says, those who speak for themselves want glory unto themselves. That's very common. 
But a person who seeks to honor the one who sent him speaks truth, not lies. Jesus himself said this in John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, it's about truth. I am the truth, and I sanctify them. I purify them by the truth that I am. But yet Jesus himself says this, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know I love the Father. So Jesus says, I am setting myself apart to be used by God by doing what he says. So it's not enough just to know the truth. Uh, Jesus himself says, I I do what the Father says, and and in that I am able to do his will. Here's where the rubber hits the road. So far we have been talking about theological concepts that you can grasp. You are justified and you're saved, and once you're saved, Jesus says, I want you to be set apart and sanctified. Where that rubber hits the road, to be set apart and ready to be used by God, we have to resist temptation and obey him. And we see Jesus do this perfectly. In Matthew, we see Jesus in the desert. Remember this? He is going to the desert to be tempted, but for 40 days he fasts and he's alone. And Satan comes to him in this time of temptation, this time of hurt, this time of physical pain and hunger. And notice, every time he's tempted, he sanctifies himself by speaking the word of God, the truth. It's in the text. See it in the, this video. you throw yourself down his angels will lift you up in their hands how dare you put God to the test if you will bow down and worship me I will give you the whole world Crucify him!
the filmmakers do a good job of the passion, but what the Bible does even better is it declares after the temptation, every single time he's tempted in the desert, Jesus says, for the word of God says, for the text says. So he sanctifies himself. Even though he's sinless, he's continually sanctifying himself and resisting temptation and walking away from sin by declaring the truth, the scriptures that he knew in his heart that he was. So he sanctifies himself. Jesus is the perfect model, the blueprint of true sanctification. And what he uses is God's word. And then he prays that we be sanctified by the word, which is truth. What sets us apart to be sanctified is God's truth. Last week we studied uh, that Paul told Timothy that the word makes us wise for salvation. And today we see that the word uh, continues to sanctify us. So we're saved and sanctified by the word. We grow deep in the word. I love seeing you walking in the word. John loved his people walking in the word. John was a pastor one of the first pastors of, of God's church. And in 3 John, we see him writing an epistle, a letter to the church. And here's what he says. He says, I pray that it may go well with you, that you may be in good health. Man, a pastor loves that. Right now, we've got some health problems in our church. Uh, there will always be in the world we live in. And my heart hurts when you're not healthy physically. But John's saying, man, I, I want you to be in good health. He says, I also want it to go well with your soul. I said, I I'm concerned about you spiritually. Then John says, for I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. He says, what encouraged me was I heard about your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John says, the thing that gets me most excited is that people, God's people, uh, my brothers and sisters are walking in the truth because the truth is what saves us and sanctifies us because it's Jesus. There's no greater joy. It's how we grow deep. The truth makes us wise for salvation and helps us to grow deep. There's no saving power in human knowledge. There's no sanctifying power in our experience. While, while knowledge and experience are helpful, uh, they don't save us or sanctify us. What saves us and sanctifies us is the truth about Jesus. And it helps us grow deep. So I wonder how you're doing. Here, here's, the, here's where it really becomes personal. How are you doing with your growth? I pray that you're saved. I, my, my heart is of this room that, that 90, 99% of you have salvation through Jesus. You have been justified. God sees you perfect. But if you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior, you have not been justified. So you need to go back to that point. But if you are saved, how are you doing at being sanctified what Jesus prayed for? John gives us a, kind of a a test on that, a personal test. He says, I, I write you, brothers, in John, 1 John chapter 2, he says this, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. He says, I'm writing to you, all of you who are justified. And if you're not justified, you just take a break. We'll be right back with you in a minute and, and know that that door's open. He also says, then I'm writing you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed in the beginning. So there's one type of person. I'm also writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won the battle with the evil one. Kind of just what we saw Jesus doing in the desert. And I'm also writing to you who are God's children. Uh, he's talking a little bit of a different part of God's children. Right here he's talking about God's children who are really young in the faith. They've just been saved because you know the Father. I wonder where you fit into this relationship kind of flow of being mature, growing deep. 
Now go, go to the next slide. The, the first one is this, this idea that you're saved, you're justified. And, and then we see this evidence of, of someone who really ha- has just a beginning relationship and, and they've started a relationship with God. They're, they're babies in the faith. And then there are people that are growing in the faith. They're young and, and now they've won the battle with the evil one. And then there's the mature in the faith. Those who truly know Christ. I mean, be honest with yourself. If you have been saved by Jesus, you're, you're under this umbrella. Are you a childlike faith right now in the sense that, that all you care about is that you know the Father and you're saved and you, you've stabilized there? Or are you growing in the faith and you're winning battles with the, the evil one? Or have you reached this maturity of the faith and you're like, I know Jesus. I know his word. I've been set apart by the word. Here's my concern. The American church, in great gen- in generality, has stalled out of this idea, as long as we know the Father and saved, I'm good. This is a different type of sermon today. You're like, why are we talking about justification and sanctification? Uh, we haven't heard much about this. It's because we have been comfortable knowing the Father and making to heaven. And, and not that that is wrong, but Jesus prays for something more. He prays that we grow in the faith. And we're, we're not just babies, but we're growing as adolescents of the faith where we can stand up against evil through the word. And then we get to the point where we become mature. Not lacking anything, but knowing Jesus. It's a spiritual battle. I find it interesting, if we're focusing on that next step of faith of winning battles and being sanctified, look what it says in that same chapter in verse 14. He says it again to those young in the faith. God, God's word lives in your heart, and you have won the battle with the evil one. So he adds a second line to this. God's word lives in you. What allows young people in the faith, what, it's not based on age, it's about how you're developing in the faith. What allows us to win battles with the evil one is God's word in us. That's what sanctifies us. It's a spiritual battle. Uh, the word here for one is the same word that, that Nike has stolen and, and, and used for their company name. It means victory. Nike, there, there's this battle that we've won, and God allows us to win it by giving us spiritual weapons. He lets us have the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. But if you know the, there's one offensive battle, a weapon that we have for battle, and it's the sword of the spirit, it's the word. It's the word in us. And it really helps us know Jesus. Paul in Scripture says his greatest desire is that he might know Christ. So if you're just thankful you're saved and God, you've got me out of hell, you're in that first level. If you're starting to win some battles, you're maturing. But if you're the place where you're like, I know Jesus and that's the most fulfilling thing I have, that's what gives me the greatest joy, then you have started to really reach maturity. I've been blessed as a, a man growing up to see my grandfather go through all three of these steps. Whenever I first was born and he started being an awesome grandfather, he was still the guy who was just like, I'm just glad I'm not going to hell. And I remember that type of vocabulary from him. He, he had uh, served our country in the military, and there were times where he was just thankful to be alive. He had went through some very hard times financially. And there were times where he was that, even as a grandfather, he, he was just happy that he wasn't going to suffer in hell. And then what was interesting, later on in life, he became a truck driver. And he spent a lot of time in the Bible waiting uh, for loads, and he listened to preachers all while he was driving. And he really got into theology. He really got into, into taking stances against the evil one. And he, he matured as a young person in the faith. And then towards the end of his life, when I started raising my own boys, 
he was really maturing and he got to know Jesus. And he started saying things like this. I'm so thankful I know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. He, he would come to me and say, Tyson, the greatest thing you can do, even as a preacher, is like, make sure the boys know Jesus. I mean, make sure the people you talk to uh, know Jesus and he loves them. He, he was all about knowing Jesus and knowing Christ. I'm so thankful that he went from someone who just uh, was thankful to be saved to someone who was telling others about knowing Jesus. I don't want you to be cheated about knowing Jesus about the sanctification and not just being saved. Uh, to not be a, a young person that's, the Bible says, tossed back and forth by the world. So here's the reality. I want to give you some ABCs of the faith. Now, you might be surprised. I know we're diving deep today, but that was just the introduction. You ready for the sermon? You're like, gee. I'm serious. We just got to the points, okay? There's three of them. They're going to be ABCs of the faith, and they're going to be easy. We're going to go pretty quickly. Here's the first one to really be sanctified. To grow deep in God's word and be sanctified, we've got to accumulate truth. The A is accumulate. It's like going to school. You've got to know your, your ABCs, your, your, your uh, uh, addition, multiplication. There's things you've got to know in your mind. Know this. Nothing replaces knowing the Bible and connecting with this word in your heart to draw to Jesus. There's got to be a point where you know what the word says. The lack of biblical knowledge slows down sanctification. When we don't understand what God wants, how can we live the way he asks? So we've got to accumulate truth. You can't replace Bible knowledge by feelings or having fun or human practices that churches do. There's something special that happens when we put God's word in our hearts and minds. It helps us live. J.P. Moreland said this, the mind is the soul's primary vehicle for making contact with God and it plays a fundamental role in the process of human maturation and change, including spiritual formation. Let me put it even simpler. The human mind connected to the word helps us grow deep, period. If you want to stall out forever and and uh, just be uh, a person that, that escapes the fires of hell, uh, claims Jesus as your Savior. But if you want to become more like him, if you want to be sanctified like he prays for, uh, put the word of God in your heart. You might, well, that's just a, a, an author of a book. Well, listen to the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12. It says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the, let the word change your mind in, in, inside your brain. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So once you're saved, he's saying, have your life sanctified by the renewing of your mind, what you put in it. So the first thing we do is we accumulate truth, and it changes us. But you can't just have it in your mind. I'm not suggesting that. But it must be there. But when the truth is there, you have to commit to believe it. We're going to grow deep in God's word, believing the truth. Because what you know and believe changes how you live. As the truth takes over your mind and we choose to live by it, we follow in the example of Jesus and we have victory over the evil one and we begin to grow and become more like him. Sanctification starts when we have knowledge and we choose to believe it and follow God's will. That's obedience. It's, it's being a part of his will. So what we believe guides how we live, even when it's difficult. Ben talked about this morning. He said, Lord, lead us to, to worship you, to praise you, whether or not you do what I think you, you can do, what I know you can do. I'm going to choose to honor you no matter what happens. 
I'm going to choose to speak of you no matter the pressure. Think about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He went to a lot of towns, and as soon as he got to town, he caused trouble. He, he would end up being on trial or in prison or be threatened to be stoned or kicked out. And you're like, Paul, why do you keep causing these problems? Why don't you just lay, lay low? Look at Paul's response in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He goes, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, he goes, you know what happened in the Old Testament, in the Bible that I know? He goes, they say, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. What Paul is saying, what I know, what I believe is what I'm going to do. That's a big thing. You may think, well, we, we can really go through life and, and believe one way and live a certain way and it all works out. Guys, there's going to be a point. The Bible says you can't be either uh, Luke, you can't be lukewarm. You're either going to be hot or cold and the world is going to have us make choices and we are going to have to do what we believe. Paul says, no matter what happens, I am going to speak what I know, what I believe. It makes me think of the book of Acts where John and Peter are in prison for talking about Jesus. They saw evidence that he died, rose again from the grave. They saw him ascend into heaven. And then uh, the, the Roman government is saying, hey, don't talk about that. And they're in prison. And the government comes to him and says, hey, we'll let you go. It'd be good for everybody if you get out of prison here. But one thing we ask, don't talk about what you know. Don't talk about what you believe. And you know what Peter said? How can I not speak of what I've seen and heard? How can I not share what I believe? Uh, guys, uh, whether it's uh, 10 hours from now or 10 years from now, I think we're all going to face hard times. We're going to have to make a choice between are we going to speak and have actions to what we believe or are we going to go along with the world? And if we want to be sanctified like Jesus, we have to follow the example of Paul, of Peter and John, and Jesus saying, I'm going to share, I'm going to do what I believe. That's sanctification. That's being strong in what we know is true, what's truth. And how do you get to that point? Sometimes I'm jealous of people in like China who every day they know I'm either going to live as Christ and I'm going to choose that or I have consequence. In America, we can kind of go in and out. We can be lukewarm all day long. How do you go from the point of really believing and standing on it? It's got to be all that you look for. It's got to be what you desire. It's the sea. To grow deep in God's word, you got to crave the truth. It's got to be a craving for you. It's not just something you can add on Sunday and take away or, or adopt on baby dedication and be like, this is good for the family, but most of the time it doesn't really play out. We've got to be the point point. say, God, I can't live without this in my life. If you're going to grow deep, if we're going to be sanctified like Jesus, it's got to guide us. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalms 119 we read this summer. He used all this language for how much he loves the word. He says things like, I hunger for it. I pant. I pant for the word like a deer pants for water when he's thirsty. I love the word. In Psalms 19, the psalmist says this, the word is more valuable to me than gold or food. That's a stretch. It's more valuable than money or sustenance. But Job may have been the greatest example of this. You remember Job from the Old Testament that had all this wealth and, and Satan came before him. I don't know what Satan looks like. But Satan comes before, Job, or before God and says, hey, Job here is just being good to you because you've given everything you want. And God says, hey, you can take everything away from him other than his life and he's going to be faithful. And Satan says, I got this. So he takes his riches, he takes his family. He even has his wife and his, his friends curse him. 
says, why don't you just turn away from God? And Job says this in response, when he had every right to lose it, to, to be unsanctified, to be unholy, he says, I always obey his commands, his word. I love the words of his mouth more than I love my food, more than I love even sustenance of life. Job says, I, I love what God's shared with me more than anything else. Job was hungry for God's word. Here's what I realized. Some of you are here today like, this is different. And I know this is a different type of sermon. We're talking about sanctification, justification. We're talking about really diving deep and following Jesus' example when we don't even know how Jesus necessarily did it. It's a matter of faith. Some of you, you're like, I'm not hungry for this at all. I know. But as your pastor, there's nothing uh, more joyful to me to see people start to get into the word and walk in the word and love the word and be blessed by the word and be more set apart for God's will because that's Jesus' prayer for us. But I know you're not hungry. There's so many other things to be distracted by and to eat. It makes me think of my boys growing up. I don't know if you know this, but currently, this is kind of a, an amazing part of our life. Currently, I have four teenage boys. Two of them happen to be adults. Figure that out for just a second, okay? And they're hungry. And they all live at home. There was a time, though, when they were all just around the toddler age, maybe from one to six years old. And they were learning what was good to eat. And they were learning about their desires and their, what they craved and what they wanted. And I can remember... Being at home like on a Sunday afternoon or Saturday night and getting out some ribeyes, okay? And we used to have to get out like two ribeyes to feed the whole family. And, and I would get the ribeyes out and I'd grill them on the grill and Tiffany would make mashed potatoes and broccoli or whatever. We'd have a big spread and we'd sit down to eat. We're like, man, this is going to be a great meal. And the boys would be like, can I have a hot dog? Can, can you make some chicken nuggets for us? And I'd be like, just try it. It's so good. Uh, th this is the best cut of meat uh, that you'll ever have, man. Th this is good. And, and they would be like, no, we'd rather have a hot dog. We'd rather that. Over the years, they started tasting ribeye and they know it's good. Now it takes about eight ribeyes to do even the four boys. Sometimes I wonder why I even turn them on to that. In much the same way and more, I don't know what you've been eating, but I so much want you to take a bite of God's word. And see how amazingly beautiful and, and blessed that you will be whenever you dive into the Word. Some of you are like, no, I'd rather have this. I'd rather have this. Just taste and see that it's good. Take a bite. And, and I pray like my boys and even more that you would desire and gobble it up every chance you get. But so much of the time we put it down because we've got so many other things we're consuming. Taste and see that it's good. The Bible says, oh, the joys who take refuge in Him. You know how much joy there is, how much satisfaction there is to knowing God's will for your life? Taste it. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, like the newborn babies, so appropriate to have on this day, they, that we must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. 
Peter saying, like the babies that you know full well, they will cry at the top of their lungs because they're hungry. Uh, We're to cry out for God, feed me through your word. Let me grow so that I can fully know the joys of being saved and being sanctified through you. That's Jesus' prayer for you. That's my uh, call to you as your pastor to be not only saved, but to be set apart by being in his word, by accumulating it in your mind, by believing it with all that you are and then craving it every chance you get. And your life will be changed. Today we're going to do something a little different during our time of decision. I just ask you to sit back. And I want you to ask yourself a few questions. Where am I at on that list? Am I just someone that has salvation at all? If not, we'd love to talk to you about following Jesus. Am I someone that is saved but has never been sanctified? Am I like that, that young person of the faith that's growing and resisting the devil? Or am I getting to the point where I know Jesus and that's the greatest thing I want to know and I'm going to be in his word on a regular basis? We're going to have this song. If you know the words, you can sing along, but just set. Maybe there's a point when you're thirsty, you're hungry for him, and you're desperate for him. Maybe you just want to raise your hand. Maybe you want to kneel. Uh, Come before God and make that expression of your desire to be with him and to know him. And allow him to speak to you of how you can grow deep by getting to know Jesus and his word.